so like I said, um, George is going to be sharing with us tonight, and um, he sent me this. I asked him, George, what do you, what's your official, what's your official title and role, and, and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. And George says on here that he's been in ministry for 51 years. I know as part of that he's been pastoring a local church, and but I know that his deep passion is missions. He wants to see people around the world come to know Jesus. And part of what he does is take pastors from all over the country, um, around the world, and connects them with missions opportunities around the world where there's whole countries giving their lives to Jesus and new movements of God and helping congregations in the U.S. even figure out what does it look like to be involved in missions. I know that that's one of his big passions. Yeah. And uh, I know that he's been Pastor Ken's mentor in missions for yeah. maybe about a decade now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, taking him to Jamaica and other places around the world, and come on, we want to take you. So, um, in Ireland, yeah, they started connecting in Ireland, and so, um, and George, he's just he's an infectious personality, infectious person. After you get done with even having a meal with George, you feel like, like man, I'm just so passionate about giving Jesus away to other people, and that's just how George exudes himself. He could, you know, from stories I've heard, he can be on an airplane or waiting in an airport or driving in a taxi cab and Jesus would be talked about and, and just in a very non-threatening, loving sort of way, he just talks about Jesus and, and so I'm just really excited he's going to be at New Hope in Antigua tomorrow and I begged Pastor Ken to let him come up here and spend time with us at Mosaic as well, so just so excited to have you here, George and, and uh, it, It's always good to be part of something that's birthing that's in process my, my daughter-in-law is pregnant. Uh, my son is having his eighth child. And we, I, I, I didn't have all the official talks with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot several. <laughs> and my daughter has five kids. I was, uh, she lives about 35, 40 minutes from us. She lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. We live in Greeley. And I had uh, dinner with her family last night. It's always good to be together as family. There, there's something about being able to look at one another and talk with one another. Uh, I uh, I pastored forever, and I, I just a couple of years ago it took me a while to realize it. I got another job as a pastor. Uh, if I was home tomorrow. I would do two and a half hours of live radio on a non-Christian station. Uh, and they, they gave me a program and I called it The Sounds of the Gospel. So I get to talk about Jesus, I play gospel music, and uh, read scripture and I have guests in. And, and I, every Sunday, depends on the time of the hour, I get to talk to somewhere between five and 15,000 people. And, and I don't get to do this, though. I don't get to look at them. And I don't have to hear their problems either, so that's kind of, <laughs> that's a good trade-off. <laughs> yeah, I tell them to call somebody else. <laughs> but, but doing this is really what, uh, what, what I think is fun, hanging out here. Uh, I, uh, Tyler, when you were, Cassie, you were singing that last song, I, I felt impressed to just look for a scripture and I finally found it. And 
if I can find it again. Do you, do you know as you get older, they make Bible print smaller? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't that. I'm thinking about hiring two guys to carry one of those large Bibles for me. Uh, I, I was thinking of, of how good it was to be a part of a of something that is starting to grow. I have a, a grandson that I've never seen, but we'll see in uh, November uh, because he's growing inside mm. his mom. Mm. And if we're growing, you're growing inside Christ. Mm. And the scripture came to me as, as a, Cassie, you were leading us. The day is coming when you will say, this place is too small for us, which makes sense. You have to think differently when that happens. Mm -hmm. You have to act differently when that happens. The day is coming when you will say, this place is, is too small for us. Or, I, I'm going I'm to read it in my language. I'm going <laughs> to take it out of the NIV. Where do all these people come from? And that they say, give us more space to live in. I, I just tend to think that in the not too distant future you're going to have to start thinking differently about how you do Saturday night, Sunday morning, whenever. By the way, there is nothing sacred about Sunday morning. I, I, you know, God didn't put his stamp on Sunday morning church. In fact, here's one of the nice things about having this this, this is your home. That originally is how church was. It was in a home. And the church has never, ever, ever been a building. Never has been. The church is people full of the life of Christ. So, so you can't say, I'm going to church. You can say, I am the church. And wherever you are is where Christ is. So you, you have a, a just a great thing in it. As a, uh, a, a young kid, a young family starting out, it's important to start with the right values and build from that. Uh, I, I uh, by the way, just as a side note, I have notes, but I don't stick to them. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys know anything about older Colorado. That's where the University of Colorado is. It is a weird place. <laughs> All the weirdos in Colorado live in Boulder. And, and I have a friend that pastors a church there. I've been on their campus, the University of Colorado campus. I went with a, a friend and his two daughters, and he wanted to go on CU campus and hand out tracks. Do, do you guys know what tracks are? <laughs> You don't know, do you? <laughs> <laughs> tracks are little things like that. Not, not tracks, you know. <laughs> track. uh, tracks are little things that, that talk about Jesus. They usually start out with, you're going to hell when you die. <laughs> and, and so they want to scare you really good so that by the time they get to the end, God has a plan for your life. You turn to God. And, uh, so uh, my friend bought all these tracks and he wanted me to go with him to hand them out. I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't even believe in it. Uh, I'm not telling you you shouldn't do it, but 
don't ask me to go with you. <laughs> so, so he asked me to go, and I said, okay, I'll go with you, and we went on senior campus. This was an interesting thing. We were talking about the ethnicities of your, your city here. Yeah. All the white students on campus would come, so we're handing out tracts, and students would come by, and we would, hello, would you take one of these, please, or whatever we think. And about, about half, maybe, of the, the white, what we would call American students would take them, look at them, and there was a trash can right over here. And we didn't have to take many with us. We'd just go to the trash can. <laughs> Get them out. And, but, but all the foreign students that was recognizably foreign, there's a, there's a lot of kids on campus here from, from Asia, and they would take them. Several of them came back to us and said, could, could you give us another one of these things? We, we've got some friends we'd like to mm. give one to. Mm. They would stop and engage us and talk to us, uh, and, and we had just a wonderful time with them. The professors on campus wouldn't even speak to us, wouldn't, take, wouldn't look at us, avoid us. So if you live in an area that is very uh, different cultures, different ethnicities, you have a great chance to change that community. Uh, Americans are not very open to the gospel. They've heard it all. People who come in from another nation have never heard of Jesus, or they only heard briefly of him. And they're not going to hear of him, of him in most of the classrooms of our colleges. So I, I want to make a suggestion to you. I, I don't make suggestions as ways to grow your church. I make suggestions as a way to be a kingdom person. Establish the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. And he would heal the sick, raise the dead, and uh, get people connected to the master of all, God the Father. So here, here's an idea for you. We're coming up on, on, at least in Colorado, colleges starting again, schools starting again. I, I don't know what percentage of people in, uh, I'm sure the University of the Pacific has international students. What do they do when you have a three-day holiday and everybody goes home? Where do they go? Why not open your homes at Thanksgiving? Get on campus, discover where the international students are, begin to talk to them, and invite them to your house. Do your family stuff. Have your family there, have turkey and etc. whatever you have for Thanksgiving, and let them be a part of it. Invite them in, and, and don't quit inviting them. There's Christmas coming, and, and it's a longer holiday. Maybe they go home, or or maybe maybe they you say, why don't you come to my house, and I'll buy the food, and we'll cook food from your country. You you go with me to the store and pick it out. I'll pay for it. You come to my house, cook it, and my family will be here, and we'll discover you discover what we eat. We'll discover what you eat. The breaking of bread is one of the best ways to enter into a person's heart.
So it passes away. So you you start you start to build a relationship, not a track. You know, I can give you a track and never know your name. But you can't start breaking bread and not get to know people. You get tangled up in your life. Here's what we have discovered in missions. We have discovered in missions that uh, if uh, uh, you, you mentioned Taiwan or Stephen, Taiwan, who are the best missionaries to Taiwan? Taiwanese. Yeah, Taiwanese. Right. Taiwanese. So if you had some Taiwanese people here and they came to know Christ and they would break the Buddhist other stuff tradition don't you think when they go home they would want to talk about Jesus maybe start doing this the way to reach the world is to begin the world that reach the world that's come to you so think like this church has two arms with one we're going to reach our city and whoever is here we don't we don't there's an old thing that we used to say, birds of a feather flock together. Have a mixed flock. <laughs> Get all kind of birds in there. And then let, send them out and then go with them. So if you had somebody that came to Christ from Taiwan, wouldn't you want to go see where they live and help them get something established? We've made it quite complicated when in fact it's rather easy. God did not give us complicated plans. He gave us, gave us simple plans. You know, as part of, of, of you guys' job as pastor, you have to guard the flock. And a lot of people are afraid that, boy, if, you know, what if we have a Muslim come in? Maybe we can change part of the Muslim world. Let me tell you a story about Muslims. There are two possibilities for the church today. You either are a group of consumers. Gimme, 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 gimme. Entertain me. And the church cannot entertain as well as Hollywood, but we sure try. Or you can be a group of missionaries who are giving everything away. All that you can. That's kingdom stuff. You give it away. You give it away. You keep giving it away. Now, uh, I was talking about I think I was talking about you're the pastor here and you got these people who some of you one day will, will be missionaries probably outside this country, but certainly in this city. It, it, it's already going to happen because these guys came to plant a church and they weren't trying to come to just grow a church. They're coming to build the kingdom of God. Wherever God's kingdom is, life happens. It starts to explode. So I'm going to give you an example of how you pastor. I, I was talking about maybe you have a Muslim that comes. Don't fear him or her. Muslims are more open to the gospel now than most Americans. Mm. It's amazing, interesting, and wonderful what God is doing. I'll tell you a story about where God's working. Let me tell you one about pastoring. We have, at, at my house, uh, we currently have 19 chickens. I, I live on an acre and a half in the county, not the city. Uh, we had the 34, and a raccoon, in a matter of two days, got 15 chickens. 
it took us a while to wonder what happened to our chickens. We had them in a coop, uh, wired outside, and finally we figured it out. Now, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I read that. And he was doing a good job of killing, stealing, and destroying. And I felt like I was the pastor of those chickens. <laughs> so we got a trap and set the trap. We baited it really good. And I went out at the, set it up at night. I went out the next morning and there was a raccoon in there. And uh, she, she was a, a female raccoon. She was an unhappy camper. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know anything about raccoons at all. By the way, if you want to read a good book, you ever read Where the Red Fur Crumbs? Read that book. It's a wonderful story for kids about hunting dogs and raccoons. And I grew up in the South, and you could hear the, the coon dogs running every night chasing raccoon and fox. So, so this, this raccoon claws were like this, and she's hissing and snarling. And what, what would you do with a raccoon like that? Barbecue. <laughs> I, I, I don't think we did that. <laughs> I guess we could, and I should have called you. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the animal control said, take, it, take her down to the river and let her out. Do, do you know how close you have to stand to a cage like that? <laughs> to land on an angry raccoon? She would have cut my legs off. And so she will never eat another chicken. <laughs> lost her appetite. <laughs> she lost her. Everything in her got lost. <laughs> So God, I'm saying this to all, God will give your pastors wisdom to know when there's a raccoon that comes just to hurt the flock, steal the flock. Part of what you do in missions is you're reaching all kinds of people and occasionally you get a squirrely one. Occasionally you get one that's going to kill, steal, and destroy. But God will give your pastors or you as you begin to mature and say, this is where I'm at, what Christ is doing in me, uh, of how to handle those things. Don't do to them what I did to the raccoon. Uh, there is, you'll go to jail. <laughs> Take them down to the river. <laughs> just throw the whole cage in. <laughs> That's what I, if I got to the river, I'd have thrown the whole cage in there. <laughs> get him a van. <laughs> right. Uh, but, so I'd say that to say, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. Back to my Muslim story. One of the places, that, uh, Tyler, you asked me to talk about what God was doing, certain places. The, the largest Muslim nation, not geographic, more Muslims per population, is Indonesia. I, I forget the percentage, but it's really high. More Muslims per capita than any other nation. We have a lot of good stuff going on there. I, I'm talking about churches now. 
big churches, medium-sized, small churches. We have right at 23,000 churches in Indonesia. And God raised up a man. He began to plant churches, and, and he began to help other people catch the vision of reaching Muslims. Foursquare Missions, Foursquare is blowing up the nation of Indonesia. We still got, there's a lot to do. But can you imagine? We have in the U.S. 1,700 Foursquare churches. 20, almost 23,000 in Indonesia. There was a, a Muslim in, I think when he was in the city of Jakarta in Indonesia. And he was uh, reading, reading his newspaper and he, suddenly there's a man standing in front of him. He looks up, a little bit frightened and shocked, and the guy hands him a piece of paper with a phone number on it. The guy takes that phone, that paper, looks at it, and when he looks up, the man's gone. So he's the man being intelligent, thinks I should call that phone number. He, he gets his phone, dials that local number, and says to who the, the guy's name, I don't remember, and then answered the phone, he said, uh, hello, I'm so-and-so. The guy on the other end says, okay, why, why are you calling me? He said, I don't know. And he told the guy the story. He said, I, you know, the guy's standing, suddenly he's standing in front of me, gives me a piece of paper with your number on it, and I called it. He disappeared. He said, well, I know who that was. He said, I pastor the Foursquare Church here in town. Could I come and talk to you about Jesus? And that guy gave his heart to Jesus Christ, who's now part of the Foursquare Church. Muslims are having dreams, they're seeing visions, and we have a nation that is exploding uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ where it is not supposed to explode. Uh, one of my, my favorite mission stories is about my friend Ted Ulbrich, who pastors, who, who's a missionary, he's a missionary in Cambodia. In the year 2000, we had one church in Cambodia. It had, at most, six, eight people in it. And Ted was pretty discouraged. Ted is a former pig farmer from Minnesota. And he just, you know, he didn't know what to do. So one morning he got up and there was a baby on the doorstep, his doorstep in uh, Phnom Penh. So he takes the baby in and he calls our headquarters, he talks to Mike and says, Mike, I got this baby, what do I do? Mike said, I don't know, give it away. We don't do babies, we plant churches. So. Ted found a home for it, which is very hard to do in Cambodia because the, uh, a, a families are poor. So you, you guys are related. If you had a baby and something happened to you, that doesn't mean mom and dad are going to take care of it. It means they may sell it, give it away, or put it on the street. They don't have the money to take care of it, and they don't have the compassion and the care. There's a lot of disconnect. So, Ted found a good family and put it in. About a week later, there were two babies on his doorstep when he got out. So he called Mike, 
I just told you, Dad, we don't do babies. We don't do orphans. Take care of it. So that night, Mike went to bed, and at 2 a.m., he sat straight up in bed. And he heard God say, what do you mean we don't do orphans? Mm -hmm. Gets up, calls Ted, and it's daylight on there. It's 16 hours time difference. And says, start an orphanage. So today in Cambodia, we have 107 state-of-the-art orphanages. They, the people who run the orphanages are God followers. They train that kids grow their own stuff. I, I was absolutely blown away when I saw all this stuff that they were doing. And, and you can't adopt them. I was there for uh, graduation from high school. One of the girls that was graduating, they, they, the people in the orphanage in the Foursquare Church, they were sending her to medical school. Here was her idea. Anybody who graduates from our orphanage, our schools, will stay in Cambodia. That's why you can't adopt them. And we're going to change the nation with young people growing up and populating this nation. There's 3,000, 3,200 kids in our orphanages. They've been doing this for a long time now. I don't know how many they graduated. Here's what I know. There's almost 7,000 churches there. there was a lot of them are run by those kids who graduate. What's that? And there was one church in 2001? Yeah, one church. Wow. Yeah. And they're taking... The, God gives creativity. He'll, he, you'll do, don't copy anybody else. Don't be like first churches, whatever, down the street. Be who God's making you to be. Hear his voice and do it. Uh, uh, Ted, Ted has a group of, uh, of young people from, I think, the age group that he would, I believe it's 30 and down, I think is what, he calls them young lions. I saw him in, uh, he was in Greeley in, in uh, November 2015. He said that year the young lions had raised seven people from the dead. Some of them had been dead four or five days. Wow. So that you, you know what happens. But I, I kept that coon at my house for, four, for five days. <laughs> he smelled really bad. <laughs> so, so they go in in the power of the Holy Spirit and they expect God to show up wherever they are. They go in and they, they, they do what Jesus did and it's changing the face of a nation. Now, God's working there. God's working in Indonesia. He's working in a lot of places in, in South America, uh, Africa, Africa is, I believe I'm saying this correctly now, is the most Christian nation in the world now. Not a nation, not a nation continent in the world. If you've never flown from top of Africa down, it's like an 18-day fly. I mean, it's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge nation. Uh, and uh, so as you start to integrate into missions, you're going to have to learn culture. You're going to have to lay down a lot of your American stuff if you're going to reach other cultures. Uh, I was in Africa two summers ago, and 
somewhere out of Nairobi in Kenya. And I had my Bible with me, which I carry a, even a thinner Bible than that one. And it, it, it's impressive, it's black. And if you, if you want to have an impressive Bible, you need a black Bible. <laughs> and I got out of the car that Pastor Francis told me on Saturday night, he said, George, I'm going to pick you up at uh, 15 to 10. And I said, great, when's your service time? He said, 10. It's Saturday night. So I go to bed, I get up, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and at about 10.20, Francis shows up. Now, I, I couldn't call him over there. We could not communicate by cell phone. And so I said, Francis. I got in his car, and I said, Francis, I thought you told me church started at 10. He says, no, that's not right. I said, well, when the heck does it start? He says, when everybody gets there. I said, how do you know when everybody gets there? He says, I'm the pastor. <laughs> I know things like that. So we're going to, we get, we park, and we're, there's only two cars there. There's going to be about 220, 240 people there. They walk. So I take my Bible, and I got it, and I'm out of the car, and I'm like this. And Francis says, George, wait a minute. I'll carry a Bible. I said, Francis, I'm a big boy. I think I can handle this whole thing. He says, no, you can't. I'm going to carry a Bible. And the way he said it, I knew I was about to learn something. So I handed him my Bible, and he said, follow me. Not walk beside me, follow me. Again, the way he said it, I was pretty sure I should follow him. So we go in the church. Uh, the service is not ready to start because not everybody's there yet. <laughs> so we walk in, and I'm following him, and he takes me up and sits me on the platform in a seat of honor. So afterwards, after, by the way, service started at a quarter to 11. We concluded at 5 p.m. that day when I had to leave to try to take the three-hour drive back to Nairobi. That's a long honking service. <laughs> I mean, they did feed us in between, uh, and, and I asked for a small portion. They said, I said, I'll get my food. I wanted to get it because I didn't want much. It did not smell good. And, and, and no, no, no. We, we get your food. So, I, oh, Jesus. Because I knew whatever they gave me, I had to eat. I'm sitting on the platform. They brought me. Oh, I said, I, didn't, I did not know what a little bit was in Swahili. So I said, Paquito. <laughs> I thought maybe they spoke Spanish. <laughs> They piled that thing up. And I said, oh, Jesus, I'm going to die. And, and I, just as I was finishing it, I passed a friend who went with me and been at another church, L. Clark, okay. came in. He saw me on the platform. He had the other pastor. He came running to the front. He says, George, 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 glad I got here. Don't eat that food. The pastor with me said it was rotten, it smelled. <laughs> it had been setting out in the sun. 
Africa, so I don't want to. I said, I, I just, I just, hey, this is, oh, baby. <laughs> he was leaving with me that night. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, after service, I found out why he carried my Bible, culture. Had I not let him carry my Bible and then walk behind him, it would have, A, dishonored him in front of his congregation. And the people would have said to him, to, about him, I don't know if they'd say it to him or not, why did you have someone here that you didn't respect enough to carry his Bible? Because you didn't carry his Bible, we don't respect him, we're losing respect for you. Culture. Learn the culture of the people who come in. It will be different, which is great. You want to learn different cultures. The Bible is not written in American language. If you read it in an honor-shame culture, which it was written in, it changes your whole view of everything. So let me tell you about difficult places. Uh, Europe is very difficult. The Europeans are not as open to the gospel as the Muslims. Not all Muslims are terrorists. You, you know that. Some Christians are terrorists. Yeah. So, you know, you can't brand people by their religion. Uh, th three difficult places. Uh, by the way, we're having to change most of the names of our missionaries now because uh, uh, of the danger. Countries are becoming more and more closed to, to God, mm. to churches and to Americans who come in. I smuggled a uh, hundred pounds, a couple of guys with me, a couple of pastors, hundred pounds of Bibles into Myanmar a couple of years ago. Uh, Myanmar's old Burma. You have Thailand, uh, Burma, and you got Laos and China over here. And, uh, they were opening suitcases. When they got to us, they just sent them through. I don't know what would have happened as we crossed that border with a hundred pounds of Bibles and I think it was in five suitcases, four suitcases. Mm. Here's what I know. In Burma, in Myanmar, uh, which is a Buddhist country, uh, I thought they were all Bronco fans, all these priests walking around in orange. <laughs> I thought, whoa, hey, I like this country. <laughs> Then I discovered they weren't. <laughs> I was so disappointed. <laughs> uh, the, 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 uh, we have right now 160 churches in Myanmar. Almost every one of those pastors, the ones that I've asked, have been caned. You know what that means? They beat you with a cane. Public punishment. I have a friend, David, who pastors up, uh, I can't pronounce the name of the town. I was there and did a conference for him, and it's just a, he's 32 years old. Pastors a church in Myanmar. This, the, the Sunday I was there, he had 150 people there. And so I'm curious, how did you get the people who are Buddhists to come to your church. I said, or did you get them from other churches? He said, no, we don't like them. We don't want them. 
We want the Buddhists, the people who don't know Jesus. So I said, David, how how, how in the world did you do it? He said, "Uh, well, I started working with young people, and I would just buy them coffee, and we'd start talking, and I'd start talking about Jesus. He said, nobody's happy with Buddha anyway. He's just an old fat guy. (laughs) So, so we, he said, we, we begin talking back and forth, and and they would become a disciple of Christ, and they would go home and tell their parents they're leaving the Buddhist temple, coming to the Foursquare Church. And he says the parents would come, and they would, uh, some of the men would hit me, fight me throw rocks at my house, at my windows. He said they, that went on for a long time. He says usually after about two to three months, the parents would come back and say, David, we don't know what you did to our son, but could you do that to us? We really like who he's become. Do you understand the power of the gospel changes people who are weird and, and worship fat gods? Uh, I mean, Jesus can change. There's nothing he can't do. And so, but you have to build a relationship. Uh, I, I was speaking at a conference here in his church to about 75 pastors. So if you've ever been beaten or caned by people who were mad at you because of Jesus, mm-hmm. raise your hand. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. Every last one of them. David came to see me uh, a year and a half ago a church in Cincinnati. Cincinnati has a lot of of Burmese people. That church flew David over, had a meeting. 2,000 people in Cincinnati were at that meeting. It was a a, a Burmese people. David preached and they loved him. They said, David, we're going to offer you this church. Come on over. You can pastor it. He told him what it paid. It was a lot of money compared to what he made in Myanmar, it was a fortune. And they said, we'll, we'll, we'll bring your family over. As soon as you get here, you can start. Now think about it. Church of 2,000, church of 150. Every time you convert somebody, there's a good chance you're going to get beat up. You're going to get your house stoned. And David said, I'm not going to do it. Their question was the same one I would ask him. Why, David? He says, God hadn't told me to. Only do what I see the Father doing. He called me to Myanmar. He called me to those people. He called me to lay down my life for them. That's what I'm doing. That's the kind of people you'll become. That's when you'll be able to say, this place is too small for us. Because people will start coming. And you may, you may make some people mad. It's okay. Sorry. One of our missionaries, uh, <coughs> call him John, is in a Middle East country. Uh, John doesn't speak great English, but he's a Middle Easterner. We would expect him to. He came to the U.S., became a citizen, went back as a missionary to his country. The way he gets in his country is he runs an orphanage. And I send John money to support him because I believe in what he's doing. He, every time he leaves his, he's in a small village. Every time he leaves his village, 
and comes back. And he goes out and he talks to parents about how to parent, how to take care of your kids so you don't lose them, how to keep your marriage together so kids don't become orphans. He does that whole thing with them. Every time he comes back, the authorities of his area follow him home and they want to know where he's been. They want to know if he's been talking about Jesus. They are suspicious. Every time he goes out, he's laying his life on the line for Jesus. One day he was going into the bigger city and he noticed that the, he called them the KGB. So I'm assuming they were. They used to belong to Russia. Was following him. So, so his car stopped. He got it off the road and the KGB stopped about 150 yards behind him. So John walks back to their car and says, hey, I noticed you've been following me. Are you going into town? If you are, I'd like to get a ride with you. <laughs> Do you understand the courage that comes when you start obeying Jesus Christ? What do you have to fear? What, what's the worst they can do? So you're going to get all kinds of people coming in, and you're going to want, you're going to want to overcome your fear and be be Jesus to them. One of the uh, tell you two other stories. Turkey, you guys know about the recent coup took place in Turkey. Twenty years ago, Isan Özbank was converted and started a church in Ankara, the capital city. Turkey is a Muslim nation. He grew his church to about 35 people and he started planting churches out of it. Today, we only have 13 churches in, in Turkey. We have six more than the process of being planted, so that's 19. We have more Christian churches in Turkey than any other movement. More than any, more than the Catholics, more than the Baptists, more than whoever you can talk about. The ground is really hard. Isan has been threatened. He's been, all kind of stuff happened to him. But he doesn't let threats or fear stop him. Because the one who is fearless lives inside him. By the way, that same Jesus lives in you. Same God who is afraid of nothing, who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Uh, I'll tell you one more story. Uh, let me stop for a minute. Let me do what Pastor asked me to do. Any questions? Great. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I do have a couple of questions for you that I'm going to have for you in a moment. It's not on what I've said. Let me tell you one more story. I have a good friend who is a missionary in Russia. She, Kim and Steve, were good friends of mine before they went. And now they're in St. Petersburg, Russia. The Russian government passed a law that went into effect on July 7th that made it almost impossible to share the gospel. You can pray in your home as long as there's no unbelievers present. I was going to take a team over this fall to St. Petersburg, a team of pastors. We could go, 
chances of, of doing anything, anything, is Neil. Right now, we couldn't do it. Here's their implication. So I take a team of pastors over. We're in Steve and Kim's living room. Somebody tells them there's a bunch of dumb Americans there. And they could fine us. And the same fine they would fine us for, they would fine the church for, or they would imprison. But whatever the church does, and they have people that come into it. So if you go on the street corner and you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, and they, they catch you and they're all kind of Russian spies, then that church gets the same punishment that you're going to get. If you're fined a thousand bucks, the church gets that same fine. They are making it virtually impossible to share the gospel in Russia. Those are difficult places. We have our victories. I, I was in, uh, not too long ago, I was in uh, Rio. You know, that's where we're having the Olympics. I was, I'd done some teaching in uh, various places in Brazil. By the way, if you ever want to go somewhere, it's a great place to go. So I was sent to Rio by our missionary and I, we had at that time about 18,000 churches in Brazil. It at that time was the largest nation of Foursquare Church. You know how many nations there are in the world, by the way? The last count I got was 240. I had a Bible in all years. I'm going to quit in a minute. It's not black. Huh? It's not black. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't even know if it's God's Word. <laughs> uh, uh, I, they didn't tell me what I was going to do. They just told me the pastor would pick me up at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. So I'm in a hotel. I meet the pastor. And, and we drive up the free, uh, Rio, I think, is like 7 or 8 million people. It's a big city. We drive and we get off the freeway or interstate or whatever they call those things. And we go out through this road, that road, and suddenly we're in the forest. And so I finally, I knew, I said, I'm going to go talk to about 10 or 12 home group leaders. And, and so I begin to form up, what am I going to talk about? I, I had no clue what I was doing. So I, I knew I had it in my mind. It was now, it's 9 o'clock, it's hotter, and I'll get out in the uh, Brazilian sun in the trees, and we go around the curve, and I saw 11 Greyhound Trailway buses. Yeah, they weren't, that wasn't the brand of them, but they were, they were parked everywhere. The, the pastor turns up, and I look down, there's an amphitheater. There were 900 people sitting there. And then I did panic. Because <laughs> I'm going from, uh, I was supposed to start at 9, from 9 until 5. And, and I, I, I understood, once I got to know the Brazilians, why there were that many people there. They are absolutely passionate, full of passion about Jesus. They are aggressive. They don't know you can't invade other people's space. <laughs> they just come at you. And they're 
they're helping change that nation. That's not a bad trait to have, to comment someone like that. Now I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. I, I just made I made notes on here. Here's some more notes. There are 6,800 unreached people groups. I'm coming to Stockton. In the world, the word uh, uh, nations in the New Testament is the word ethne, and it has nothing to do with the United States as a nation, Canada as a nation, Taiwan as a nation. It has to do with with ethnicities. There's 6,800 unreached nations in this world. There are 11,400 nations in the world. And remember I said a while ago, there are 240, that's how we count them. There are nations within the U.S., mainly the Native Americans, that have never been reached. There are nations in this city, pockets, little pockets of people that nobody's ever counted that are unreached with the gospel. Missions is reaching your city first. Why go around the world if you're not doing something here? If you're not touching these people, maybe you should touch them and then take that other arm, touch the world. I, I made a, another... Oh, yeah, here was my other note I made. There are 66,000 66, people that die every day who've never, ever, ever heard the name Jesus. Every day. Every day. In the world? Every day, yeah. Every day, 66,000 people who've never, ever heard the name Jesus. There are two million people who have never heard the name Jesus. Our task is huge. It's overwhelming. It's, churches is, thank God you're doing this, but church is more than this. If this is all it is, you're wasting it. Church is not about the gathering of the saints. It's about gathering the saints, not in a meet and greet, but in koinonia and fellowship. You get tangled up in each other's lives. And it's, I give you what I got, you give me what you got. I'm enriched, you're enriched. Then we go out there and we start reaching our neighbor. A cup of coffee, not a track. We begin, to, we begin to hand them Jesus in us. And suddenly we begin to change our community change our world. Most, many Christians don't want anything to do with that. That's your job. That's right. your job. Yeah. Don't ask me to do your job. You get paid to do that. We fail to read Scripture and understand it. I'm not telling you that's you. I'm saying you're starting out. You're a brand new start. Don't ever think like a traditional church. Be a new and a different person in the way you think. Let the Spirit of Christ embolden you so you can be in your world what Jesus was in his. So here's my question for you. This is a, what I call a God question. Do you believe this is God? Not, I'm not God. Don't confuse me. <laughs> We were confused. <laughs> and please don't make comments like that. <laughs> Here's the guy question. Do you believe what I believe about you? 
if I was to say, do you believe about yourself what God believes about you? His opinion of you is higher than your opinion of you. I'll tell you how much he thought of you. He put Christ in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ lives in you. Christ dwells in you. So you've got to answer that question. You don't have to answer it now. One of the things I love about God is he makes war on all of our negativity. The stuff we don't, don't believe about him. It's negative things we don't believe about us. When you talk to yourself, tell yourself the truth. Stop lying to yourself. I come across people all the time, and I do it too. It's a lot of, oh, gee, what a jerk I am. I'm stupid. I'm, no, you're not. Christ lives in you. And he's given you the mind of Christ. I, I usually pray this prayer from Psalm 19 every day. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I want my mind renewed. I want to know who I am. I want to be that person. So, uh, by the way, whatever God has planned for you is large enough to frighten you. Once you see it, it'll scare the living daylights out of you. If you're a follower of Christ, you're not a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. Everybody's a Christian in the U.S. You know that, don't you? I mean, all Republicans are Christian, and most Democrats are. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, Christ followers don't get to decide what they do with their life. Why would you get to make that decision? You've bowed your knee to the Holy One, and you've called him master. Your life's no longer your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to him. Or you're just a Christian. Once he becomes your master, he's your master. He gets to tell you what to do. You get to let go of all of your excuses. I have another question for you. Uh, by the way, I found, do you guys, you, you might know who Francis Chan is. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but at succeeding at things that don't really matter. Uh, second question. What would you do if you weren't afraid? If you weren't afraid of failure, weren't afraid of getting hurt, killed, laughed at, scorned, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I'm going to answer one of your questions. We'll take a couple of minutes. Tyler asked me how I stayed focused on missions when I was doing all this other stuff. And the answer is I had a God encounter. After 30 years of ministry and being angry at God for calling me into ministry, I had a God encounter. I met God. A, a pastor prayed for me and I... Uh, laid his hand on me and that's all the next thing I knew I was laying on the floor and and uh, well I just get right up and I couldn't get up I, I, there was a thump right here and my head, I could move I was awake I couldn't get up and I'm trying to get up and for over an hour I'm trying to get up and this is the craziest thing in the world 
And I heard Jesus speak to me. He said, I'm not letting you up till you call me Lord. And I knew in my heart that would mean radical change for me. I could no longer be mad at God for not letting me do what I wanted to do. I knew he was going to ask me to do stuff that would frighten me, take me places I really didn't care to, to holler about. I didn't like missions, didn't like missionaries, didn't want them in my church, they were boring, and I just you know, let them go. So now we're, we're at two hours, and I'm tired, and, and i got to go to the bathroom. And I'm laying there, and it's, it, it literally is like a thumb on my if you lay on the floor and I put my thumb pretty heavy on your head, I don't think you can get up if you don't strike my hand. And God's hand is more powerful than mine. Again, I heard the voice. I'm not going to let you get up till you could tell me I'm your Lord. And I felt like he could wait longer than I could. <laughs> I felt like <laughs> just had that. <laughs> you ever had that feeling? God cannot wait you? <laughs> So, after two hours and a half, I said, Jesus, I was broken in my spirit. You are Lord. I could get up. Because I knew when I said it, he would know if I was kidding. And I wasn't kidding. My life radically changed. But my focus is not on task, doing missions, pastoring, preaching, whatever. My focus is on the Master, King of Kings. There's only one task. Love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Three loves God, others, and you. Or God, you, and others. You know, if you don't love you, you won't love others, and you won't love Him. And He put me on task that way. And my life has never been the same. I have the greatest life in the world. I live an adventure. Get to do stuff that I never thought I'd do, never even knew you could do. It's wonderful. And it's not because of me. I am nothing. It's all because of the one who is everything. And every day I have to make a decision to make him my everything. And I have to keep making it because I am simple enough to forget. I'm, I, I fail. Every day I start my day not with worship but with confession of sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. God, I got this attitude about someone. I mean, I'm not out killing people. I do kill raccoons. But, I mean, not, but that, he was a thief. So, so you, you confess, and when you confess, you start turning. That's called repenting. You get a new mind. You start walking in a different, a different way. Uh, so. Anyway, that's answered my question. Uh, I have one more question for you. Uh, can you see yourself powerful in Jesus? I mean, Christ lives in you. He doesn't live in this house, but he lives in the residence of this house. So when they're not here, is Jesus here? Not if he lives in them and he doesn't live in this house. You know, Moses was told to take off his shoes because the ground was holy. This ground's not holy, but those two people are. You come to the New Testament, 
and God begins to dwell in people, not in ground, not in buildings. He sets up residence in people. In fact, Paul calls you saint. Saint Cassie. Saint Tyler. Saint George. <laughs> so, so, can you see yourself powerful in Christ? You have to start seeing yourself the way he sees you. Do something every day that scares you, frightens you. That, 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 well, here's how I say it. All progress takes place outside the comfort zone. Holy Spirit is not a comforter. He's a discomforter. He moves you into areas you're not used to, but when you start getting in that discomfort area, he comes along and comforts you in your discomfort area. So you can do what he calls you to do. Well, let me stop. Uh, by the way, here's what I think God says. My goal is to make you like Christ. That's why I put him in you. And it doesn't mean you're devoted, holy, and you never have a bad thought. It means you're a world changer. Christ was. I have people all the time say, I want to be like Christ. I say, no, you don't. Oh, yeah, I do. I just want to be like Christ. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to read my Bible. He didn't read his Bible. He read a scroll. <laughs> Christ changed the world. You can too. He lives in you. So I want to pray with you. Any, uh, let me give you a scripture. We're going to say this together. This is from uh, Joel chapter 3. It says, Let the weak say, I am strong. Say that with me. I am strong. I am strong. Uh, say it like you mean it. I, I am, am strong. strong. Yeah. Joel 3.10. Let the weakling say, I'm Say it again. I am strong. I am, I am strong. strong. Yeah, now start believing it. Tell yourself that every day for a month. I'm strong. Strong in Christ. So I'm going to pray with you. I any questions? I, I don't do questions well. I just get talking and forget. I'm so sorry, Tyler. I'm so sorry. Well, let's pray, shall we? Uh, Tyler, uh, Cassie, one day you and the people in this room are going to say this place is too small for us. It's going to happen far more quickly than you think. Don't be surprised by it. Just start thinking about what's next. May God give you guys a spirit of wisdom and understanding so that you can lead the people who make up the body of Christ here at Mosaic. So you can lead them into a passion for Christ, into a heart to, to reach Stockton and then to reach the world. May God give you favor with everyone that you meet. Everyone that you meet. God has given you favor. May you recognize it and start moving. And for all of you who are part of this church, may you rest in the favor of Christ. The stuff that they have is on you as well. Walk in it. Be it. Do it. May Christ remove fear far from you. 
And if you'll turn loose of it, he will. The angel said first, fear not. You don't have anything to fear. Christ in you is greater than the devil. Don't talk about the devil. He's not worth wasting your breath on. Talk about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Talk about the world changer. The Lord rebuked me once. He said, you, you know more about the devil than you do me. I spent years repenting of that one. Let the glory of Christ fill you. Have fun. If you don't have fun, you won't do anything. <laughs> Laugh. Christians should have the most fun in the world. They're the only people I know who are going to heaven when they die. <laughs> Everybody else needs to be a little worried. <laughs> you guys, you guys have a blast, have fun, enjoy each other, slap each other upside the head occasionally, slap some sense into one another, take it and laugh at it and go on. Failure is not fatal nor final in Christ. In the victory. Thank you for letting me be here, guys. It's been a pleasure.